you're certainly not going to build out this entire tech stack in one foul swoop. You're going to, you know, slowly start adding them on, you know, and you're kind of in a monolithic and you're realizing, you know what, we, we're kind of hitting this, this head wall and we're not getting the, the progress that we need. We need some more customization. That's when you start to realize maybe this is the time for us to look at the next generation. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Commerce tools is the hottest darling of the e-commerce space. This is especially true for the people who are big on microservices architecture and are part of the Mark Alliance. But headless architecture is a lot of work for brands and requires tons of capital. The only reason why companies such as Shopify and BigCommerce are so successful is that they made it turnkey for entrepreneurs to start e-commerce businesses easily without worrying about hiring expensive developers. But the world of headless seems to be taking exactly the opposite perspective. While we all know that the fluidity and experience of e-commerce are important, the cost of building it may be a deal breaker for SMBs. Would there be ROI for companies who are investing in composable commerce? These are the questions you are going to have if you are planning to beef up your e-commerce capabilities and drive revenue from digital channels. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss commerce tools capabilities. We discussed their strengths in creating customizable commerce experiences for companies in industries where it's a critical factor such as automotive, mattress and apparel. Finally, we discussed their weaknesses with the amount of investment and expertise required and these initiatives are likely to fire back with the lack of expertise. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello everyone. Welcome to today's show. And if you're joining for the first time, this is part of our e-commerce series for which we meet every Wednesday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one solution or the vendor that we review independently. And we always have a very excited to share that insights and For today, we are going to be discussing and evaluating one of the sexiest tools. And we are super excited about it. It's tools well on one of the hottest technology that is advanced. So we are going to have a lot of fun discussing that. Uh, before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intros. I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know me, I am your host, uh, Sam Gupta, principal at Elevate IQ. Elevate IQ is the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm and e-commerce, uh, you know, everywhere uh, in every single engagement that we pursue. So I'm super excited to review uh, commerce tools. Now I'm going to move to Phil for his intro. Hi, everybody. Phil Kerper, Managing Director of Ringling Business Solutions. Uh, we help executive leadership teams align their digital transformation strategies with their core business and get maximum results for the company. 
And I'm coming to you after uh, several decades of work in the C-suite, working with small companies on these types of changes, and really looking forward to the show tonight. Amazing. Thanks for being here, Phil. Robert, can I use yourself, man? Sure. My name is Robert Brown. I'm principal of Robert Brown E-Commerce Consultancy. Um, I come to the show with 20 years of e-commerce experience from the Fortune 50. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here, Robert. And uh, if you're in the audience and joining for the first time, uh, make sure you guys post your comments and questions. We typically cover during the show. If we don't get time, then our panelists are going to make sure that you search that note. I am going to start with a little brief and then I will floor for the commentary and then we'll go to our so commerce tools obviously it's um it's one of the hottest technology that I mentioned and uh, headless has been trend and Phil if you are not familiar with headless I think we are going to be debating a little bit okay so the whole idea of headless is you know when you look at the commerce platform there's always sort of the debate between you know, how much control you want to give it to the business. And these are the debates that we have in the ERP community as well. Uh, you know, the balance between your development and, and, and the business. So the, the whole evolution of e-commerce platforms, especially in the SMB space, if you talk enterprise, it's different. And Robert is going to have very different experience because when you talk about the enterprise commerce, it was always a different deal where you had a lot more money, a lot more custom platforms. The experience was very different. But SMP traditionally didn't have as much funds and capital to be able to invest in billion dollars, uh, <laughs> to be honest, okay? So, uh, you know, we had platforms such as, you know, WordPress, uh, Shopify, Bitcoin, Magento, all of them provided some sort of ways of allowing our marketers, designers to be able to create content easily so that they don't have to go to IT and developers always to be able to create the content. But... You know what, even though you are providing the control, but what is going to happen is you are going to feel very tight because, you know, when you look at the real commerce uh, experience, uh, everything has to be very intertwined and you have to be able to call the APIs to be able to get the data. And, you know, when you have that, then you get the real. Um, So now the newer technologies, I mean, there is a lot of development going on overall uh, headless of time. Uh, there are some big companies involved. They're like billion-dollar evaluation uh, of these companies, and they are trying to bring the whole architecture that you are probably going to have in the uh, in the backend commerce. So, commerce tools is, is I guess you know one of the hottest one. Uh, they are really ahead of the pack. I would say overall in terms of their capabilities uh, in the headless space. So, I'll I'll pause there. I'll open up uh, for the commentary. Robert, uh, do you want to start? Sure. So the really great thing about Headless is the ability to customize. Um, you know, I was looking at some of the reviews that they had, and and the one that struck me the most was um, one of the customers said the difficulty to implement and the time to implement that. And that really comes down to um, experience with this size tool in that size organization. When you wanna do this kind of customization, you're gonna spend a lot of money to do it because you have so many different departments that need to customize it to squeeze out every cent that they can from their their customers and and from their leads, right? And so they're really tweaking everything they can to generate the best experience, the highest conversions and you know, so you've got a lot of teams working on this and, and ensuring that you have, you know, an omni-customer experience. And you can only do that really um, at this level. Phil? 
So, so I'm, I'm really interested in this concept and, and, and both seeing how it relates to practically what I've seen in the marketplace and then technically kind of what this solution is. Because what I've seen over, especially the recent years, is more and more uh, functionality being built into like a Salesforce or to other, other front end systems or the e-commerce systems. And then, and then because they're coupled, that it, 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 it's creating conflicts. It's creating conflicts between the backend systems and what they want to do, where the sources of truth are, how, like you said, the complexity of the API interactions and, and to, to actually go in a direction where we're bringing, where we're separating the backend from the front end is super interesting to me. I have one client right now. That's exactly what their homegrown build is is they built their own backend functionality that is managing a lot of the information that ultimately is being used by them. So I, I'm interested in technically learning on this, but also from a directional standpoint, which one has the inertia to, to put a lot more head in the in the body or to or to separate it to two separate really functions? I, I'd be really interested to hear your guys' view on that. So what we want to do is we want to put a majority of the ag and gag where it's going to be processed faster. You know, when you start trying to download that onto a customer's screen into their browser and have that do it or in, in the front end and you don't have the processing power to do it quickly, then you lose customer. And so you, you want to this is where the architect comes in into play based on each each organization's specific architecture and, and what their tech stack looks like. But really, you know, you want to put it where if you've got giant IBM four by fours out in Colorado that are going to do most of the processing and you're just, you know, streaming all this, this information back and forth, let them do it. You know, don't try to stick it on the, the web server. Yeah. Just one quick comment guys that I probably did not cover during our briefing is going to be overall in the advancement of the technology. And one of the reasons why these well, as of today is because the development that has been done on JavaScript. So if you looked at JavaScript, let's say 10 years back, you know, this probably would not be possible. But now when we are looking at Node.js, when we are looking at framework as we are, uh, TypeScript, they have come a long way. So now you can really create that desktop experience inside the web. And that's what we are talking about when we look at NAS. Uh, that, okay, indeed, let's say if I look at my desktop app and Phil, you have lived this life. You know, there was a clear distinction between your ERP system that actually ran on a desktop. I mean, it was a completely different experience. And initially when, you know, ERP uh, started coming on web and it was like, okay, do I really want to use it? You know, it feels, uh, you know, really strange. Uh, I just don't have enough control here. I It worked as if I am operating on my spreadsheet. So that is the experience that is probably going to be there once the PWA is going to be in full force and which is called a, you know, progressive web app is the name. They are going to have scenarios that is offline. Can you believe this? Okay. So offline, and I don't know how to put this one. Okay. So is it going to be like online, offline app or offline, online app? However you want to name it, but you are going to have offline experience uh, on the real cloud and sassy couple app, which is just mind blowing. And again, to Robert's point that that's, uh, speed of customer experience or speed of, of functionality so that so that the work get done quickly is one one really cool side of that that I'm thinking about. The the other question I have is is this type of a solution, which lane is it in? Is it, it it's it it reads to me like there's a uh, there is a lot of work to set this up. It's part of the fact that it has so much capability. Is is this an SME product? Uh, some of their customers are large automotive firms. 
you know, so it reads to me like it maybe is for a larger enterprise type of company. Is there a distinction in what type of company might want to use this? The type of, well, so going headless requires an IT department. You know, it, you cannot do this by outsourcing everything and just, you know, you, you being a, a few marketing guys uh, and, and some executives in an office and, and hoping, no, uh, you know, you, you need to actually have in-house staff that is managing this and on call 24-7 because, you know, when you're a bigger customer like this, when you go down, you're talking like hundreds of thousands of dollars a minute that you're down. Or, you know, um, when I was with uh, Wyndham Hotels, it was like $4 million an hour. Yeah, and just uh, one quick comment there, Phil, uh, you know, to your point about where their play is going to be. So right now, it's probably going to be either custom experience or it's going to be enterprise. If you look at any of the e-commerce platform market, they are going to be more of the content driven. Um, you know, respect of whether you are talking about the e-commerce, you know, uh, your Magento or WordPress. But when you look at the, the custom e-commerce experience, for example, let's say if I am a Meta shop, okay? So most of the Shopify store are going to be, okay, here is your card. Uh, this is your store. This is your product. You add to cart and that's it. That's not the, the limitation of the, the when you go to things like, let's say, if you are going for the automotive or you are going for the mattress shop, they require party. I mean, you can't just do this based on your plain vanilla Shopify or big commerce. Uh, this is really for the entrepreneur who just don't have enough IT budget. Um, you know, to get to a certain place so that you can really experience. Again, your product needs to be experience-driven, meaning, you know, if uh, you are trying to present your product where they need to feed it. For example, let's say if you say a real configurable product, for example, when you shop car, you know, car is a very different experience when you are going to shop. You are going to be trying different options and you need to see that, you know, how that is going to be reflected on the car. So that's a very different experience that, uh, you know, always had that, even though they always had the in-person testing, once you have seen, you know, how the car looks, once you have done uh, purchase and journey. So we are talking about similar experience, uh, but again, it requires a lot of money. No yeah. So, and just the, so that I kind of got my head around, okay, if you, you have a IT department that can, that can really put this together, build it and maintain it. You're taking on risk of uptime to on some level. And and you're getting a lot of custom customer experience in a in a quick and effective way. You know that that's a certain type of company that comes to mind for me, right? Yep. This this is definitely in the the eight to nine ten figure range with with the the size IT departments that you need to support this. You know, if you look at it from like a, a maturity model standpoint, let's talk about like um, product recommendations. Um, you know, a maturity model of like a level one is going to be, there's no recommendations. Then it's going to be low, a level two would be static recommendation. Then based on past purchases would be a third level. Fourth is going to be based on purchases from a channel. And fifth level is going to be predictive. You know, when you start doing that AI predictive stuff, fifth level stuff, you know, you're really tweaking down, you know, trying to trying to take every single penny off that table and, and um, you know, you need special tools to plug in, and that's why you need this this plug and play kind of environment. That's a super good example. Thank you. Slides, unless you. So here we are talking about commerce tools, obviously, and they have been implemented by one of the biggest. So here they are saying, you know, it's a cloud-based headless commerce platform that provides APIs to power e-commerce sales and similar things for large businesses. I mean, they at least on Wikipedia they are clear. 
that it's really for large business. Uh, both the company and platforms are called Comet Tools. Uh, the company is uh, from Germany. Uh, for some reason, these things are happening a lot in Europe, and I don't know if it is because of the taste or they are slightly more progressive than North America. I just don't know. But a lot of development is happening in, in Europe and Germany and, and, and for some reason. Okay. Um, so here they are saying that its clients include, uh, you know, already, obviously, that's a big deal, nuts.com. Uh, and uh, Phil, you are going to like this. They, in 2019, they raised $145 million from venture capital firm Insight Partners. Uh, and uh, in 2021, I think the car manufacturer, again, when we look at the experience from cars, car is the real experience, okay? Car companies have always been very, uh, you know, progressive overall in terms of providing the experience because for their product, it's a big deal. So cars, airlines, hotels, uh, you know, travel, luxury, all of these sectors, furniture, I would say, you know, mattresses, these are the companies that always, always were way ahead overall in the company. Um, so here um, they have a lot of different car brands, uh, brands obviously, uh, and then they are... For some reason, I think in the developing market, they have a lot more appetite for commerce. Um, you know, that's been my experience as well. So they are saying in May 2021, and I don't know how you pronounce this one. Is it Rave, Ravi? I don't know. Group announced uh, additional investment into commerce tools to fund uh, growth into the Chinese market. And when you look at China, Singapore, Malaysia, you know, India, uh, these markets are way ahead overall in their commerce appetite, so I can see why they would. Uh, in September 2021, Commerce Tools raised $140 million in the series, series C round, led by venture capital X, uh, firm XL, valuing the company at $1.9 billion. Billion with a big guy. That's a big deal. So that's a rocket ship. Okay, that's 18 to 21, 300 million of publicized uh, funding and a $2 billion, just have a $2 billion market cap. That is a rocket ship right there. <laughs> I'm telling you, Phil, and by the way, this is not the only company that has $2 billion valuation. If you look at all these GSP platforms, for example, I don't know whether you have reach. Uh, they have roughly $2 billion valuation as well. So every single uh, startup in the, in the head less commerce space are probably going to have some valuation because this is the future i'm telling you i mean yeah they they definitely they definitely are riding it and you know if you're if you're investing in inside partners you know that's 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 three years your money's been out there that's that's feeling pretty good yeah uh and one of the developments that is really exciting and the reason why i am excited about this one is because personally what i feel is there is going to be a hybrid okay so when i say hybrid Yes, headless is going to be there. We all need headless, irrespective of whether you. We all need headless because the way the market is going to move, if bigger companies are going to provide better experience, SMBs will. Okay, so they have to do something about it uh, to compete with forces like Amazon or other bigger companies. So there is going to be a little bit of hybrid play. So what commerce tools have done. Initially, they were focusing only on headless. Okay, I'm going to be a platform. And in my mind, that platform looked as if you are doing ERP uh, <laughs> because it was really backend, APIs. So what's the difference? Or maybe PIM. Okay, that's how these uh, solutions were structured. But now they are doing a little bit of, you know, hybrid experience. So they have acquired a, a tool called Frontastic. Uh, and that is the, the head. Okay, so headless is no longer 
headless, I would say, there is going to be a, a head with the headless. So, for example, if you look at the commerce tools implementations at the time in the okay, they always had content. Contentful is another platform that we are going to be reviewing in a few weeks. So Contentful is going to be similar to platform that you have utilized well. For example, let's say if you talk of the episode for Optimize Lee, where you are going to get the enterprise capabilities, including your DXP, but then you have the sort of the, the content head that is going to give you a lot more flexibility uh, in terms of building the content that is going to be easy for the business users to be able to develop these templates. But at the same time, you still have the code, so it's going to be a very hybrid experience where you have both the perspective for the developers as well as for the business. And that's what excites me to be. Okay, so here they are saying, you know, Frontastic brings uh, to commerce tools as an easier way to deploy a customizing front end interface uh, in what can be a challenging deploy deployment for headless commerce technology, which I agree, you know, uh, Frontastic will appeal mostly to e commerce practitioners, and which is right as well. For practitioners, it was always a distance. If you are always going to be talking to developers, they just cannot do. So now this is going to be very attractive for them. Uh, that won't be benefit of an API first headless e-commerce platform, but don't have the what can be challenging in time consuming deployment project. Uh, you know, this is what some analysts say, is saying. And then uh, you have a product cat catalog, order management, customer data management. I think they, they are all going to be part of that. The commerce tools platform provides an extensive set of APIs that client companies can use to orchestrate or compose multiple vendor applications in a best of data strategy. And we are going to be talking about what composable means in the e-commerce context. It's not really your CRM play that you mentioned, Phil, when you were comparing this with sports. It's not that, okay? They have a play. Like this is going to be a real commerce play. So the only difference between this versus if you utilize some of the monolithic platforms such as, you know, ATG, uh, Oracle ATG or SAP Hybris or SysCommerce or Magento Commerce Enterprise One. Yeah, uh, I misspoke there, Sam. I was I was referencing Salesforce Commerce Cloud in that particular comment you know, as, as, as the front end. Yeah, so this one is going to be slightly more composable overall. Uh, and by the way, the other aspect that we have not touched so far of the headless, it's not going to be just the web front end. Okay, even though you can probably build your omni-channel architecture using your uh, these monolith, uh, such as your Salesforce Commerce or Pi, but when you look at the real omni-channel capabilities, when you are going from channels to your website to mobile app to your social media pages to your uh, you know Alexa, that's a big deal, guys. Okay, you definitely require a little bit of integration, and that's where headless is real handy. So the more and again, all of these uh, things are driven a lot by Amazon. Amazon is a big, big, big champion and the investor. And by the way, Google, okay, they are driving the development. They, uh, Facebook, uh, you know, they actually came up with the whole React framework. Uh, you know, the whole JavaScript movement is actually, um, so obviously they are leading the pack and there's good. Um, so some more commentary here before we take uh, comment, you guys. So here they are saying a headless commerce option can take a lot of work to get it up and running, which is true as well. But now this is going to be easier after they have done it, but I don't know how many companies are going to be utilizing Frontastic versus uh, Contentful, uh, which is uh, slightly ahead, I would say, in its capabilities when you talk about head uh, in the headless architecture. Uh, that's pretty, uh, do you guys have any comments? No. Nope. Okay, so here, now let's look at these screens. Now, when you look at these screens, it's going to appear very lean, to be honest, okay? And you guys are going to feel that, you know what, when I looked at my 3D cart uh, or the shift for shop, if I remember, 
uh, you know, I had far more functionality. So why am I choosing for, uh, you know, less functionality here in case of headland? Uh, but then again, this is going to be slightly more API driven. You are going to have far more control in terms of what you can do. And again, we are talking about the, I would say the, the best way to describe this is going to be programmable interface. And I don't know how to put that. So basically right now, if you are going to utilize something like sales commerce, I don't know how much control you have in terms of, let's say, uh, if I have appetite to spend $10, I want to uh, display this particular component or this particular page uh, on the page itself, or I want to swap out all the, the whole page. I don't think those things are possible in, in those. But, you know, when you are, everything is going to be programmable, that's where you get all of these controls and you can do the, you can build the component, you can swap out the component, you can swap out the pages, and that's where the power is of the headless commerce. So... The thing to keep in mind there is with tools like this, you can build anything you want, but somebody actually has to provide the requirements for the dev team to actually do it. So you actually have to have the strategy behind the types of transactions you want to do because it's not going to miraculously show up. So there are there would be some folks listening here like, ooh, can I plug and play these different things out of the box that I may get from some other provider that's monolithic? No, but they would maybe have different experiences that they're going to be focused on. Yeah, keep in mind, Robert, even in this case, I think they have, um, you know, some sort of template or the themes that you are going to start with, even in case of, let's say, if you talk about Bootstrap in the Java script experience, yep. right? You always had the basic framework that you start with. So it's not that, I mean, you are literally going to draw every field that you want to have, you are going to start with some sort of template and then, okay, tell me what changes. Uh, so that's what. Yeah, it's usually what's going to happen in a situation like this is you actually go out and get a third-party design firm like uh, Razorfish, who's going to come up with your designs. You know, they're going to go out there and do UX testing and say, okay, here's your here's your here's the designs that you're going to build. And then you're going to take the template and match the designs that Razorfish has done for you and move on from there. But I think that's a really good example of, of again, the lane. I'm working on the lane on this on this one. You know, there's a lot of companies that that's going to be really exciting. There's some companies that are going to say, well, wait a second, just get me get me a standard type of functionality, a standard type of look and feel, you know, and, and let's get going versus really come up with something that's a wow factor, which is completely agree, guys. So here, overall, from the capabilities perspective, uh, there are a couple of things that are really part of the commerce and they are trying to separate the presentation layer, even in the e-commerce space, okay? So, you know, in my mind, the e-commerce always sort of the presentation layer, but in that, they are trying to sort of separate them out. So one is going to be a real presentation, the second is going to comment, okay? So here, the, whatever APIs we are talking about, that's a real prospect of the, the e-commerce. So which is going to be your products, your categories, um, you know, your customers and orders, you know, that's your, your backend sort uh, of the commerce. And then you have the front end of the commerce, which is going to be how you display uh, all of these products and categories. And, and so that's going to be driven by the backend is going to be driven by the, this platform. And then the head is going to be driving the, the, the whole presentation. Obviously you have far deeper capabilities in terms of the, the kind of, you know, things you can do. For example, the variance, the master variance. Sometimes these things were lacking. I don't know if other platforms are going to equally support it, especially in the SMB space, but you have a lot more capabilities in terms of what you can do uh, uh, product data perspective. Now, this is the architecture that we are looking at. And I believe this is for one of the mattress vendors from Canada, mm -hmm. this, right? This is taken from one of the YouTube videos. And this is the architecture that they are talking about. So the whole, and I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, 
MAC or MAC Alliance. Uh, they are supposed to be microservices. Uh, A stands for API first. C stands for, uh, what is that, Robert? Uh, each is for headless. And uh, C is cloud native SaaS, I guess. Uh, yeah, cloud native SaaS. So, um, so that's the alliance that a lot of companies are uh, you know, leading and they are championing for an architecture similar to this in that you are going to have a lot more app that are going to be doing a lot of best of read functionality but building an architecture like this oh my goodness uh you know it's not easy at all uh when you look at and by the way this is all commerce right everybody's sort of championing the idea of this whole uh, concept of best of read if you go to industry for your community they are championing similar things if you go to procurement community they are championing you go to finance they are championing okay i need 42 uh toolbox so as the cio <laughs> Okay, it's going to be a hell uh, <laughs> you know, bringing all of this together. So, so I was really interested in how you're going to talk about this, and and they, their, their M is microservices. Their, their A is API first. Yeah. Their C is cloud native, and their H is headless. Yeah. And so, you know, we have a lot of conversations on some of our sessions, Sam, about integrations and about trying to get a platform that does more. And the uh, and and the challenges of integrations and the, this I got to turn my chair upside down. This is the exact opposite conversation, right? So, what do you think about that? So, okay, so so you are going to find this shocking, okay? So here, when we talk about commerce experience in this show, I am going to be championing a lot more, okay? And the reason for that is because commerce is different, okay? Your ERP is very different. Commerce is very different. Commerce is very customer experience driven. And this is your secret sauce, okay? So you need to have the customization. You need to have your customers are your customers, your customer journey is your. So you need to really enable that using the customized experience. The more customized experience you are going to have, the better chances you are going to have to be able to retain to have higher conversion rate. So I am going to take a different spin on this. And if I were, let's say, the CFO, I would be investing on the customization on this one. And I will be bringing a lot more tools to develop the endless architecture, not for ERP. Oh, I'm fascinated. I'm going, to, I'm going to bring that recording up in future sessions. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I had this wrong because when I look at this chart, I see commerce tools as this quote-unquote store backbone. And then there's a content management piece on this, which, I, which, which is interesting. And then the storefront is look and feel of customer journey and taking that front end and designing it, Robert, is that really happening in the storefront app and not so much in commerce, which is Correct. So I might've been wrong with what I said a few minutes. Right, so commerce tools is the back end. That's the headless piece of it. That That's where the, the e-commerce piece of this is happening, right? And then it's gonna serve up what the customer has asked for. Yep, got it. So in this architecture, I think, Phil, I am going to have just one problem and I'll tell you what that is, okay? And you know me that I don't want to bring too many tools unless they are absolutely required. So I definitely like the aspect, the way, you know, commerce tools is done to be, because you need that. But then you need the, some sort of head for your business users because they'll not be able to do their job. So you definitely require some sort of head here. You require the headless platform for commerce. Uh, you require the storefront that is going to be required as well. The, 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 this is my problem. I probably don't need this. I don't know why they have for order management. They should not require that. Okay. So, so I don't like this at all. For the order management, they should have their headless commercial management from the e-commerce perspective, and then they should be going to ERP. Uh, this is an extra piece, which I personally don't like. 
But other than that, I really like the way the architect has done that you definitely need to have headless, uh, you know, platform. You And I don't know if that is going to act as PIM because I don't see him here. So I don't know if PIM is actually being replaced with a headless platform. And then you definitely, definitely require the content head. Otherwise, business users are going to feel lost. And that's where my, you know, I, I need that hybrid experience. But then you need the developer experience and that's where you the store. Yeah, this reads to me like PIM is content management and that yeah. order management is there in part to support the direct marketplace retail component because there is not a line between the backbone and that. the store backbone is just for that online storefront it's not for marketplace re retail in this picture yeah uh, and i'm not sure i understand that i'm just saying that's what the picture says i know <laughs> and and you are right to be honest okay and that's where my problem is so ideally your uh headless commerce should be able to handle that. So let's say if I typically either they handle the channel or ERP handles. Well, typically you should be going to ERP directly for the channel if possible. Go so ahead. the reason the reason they're doing this is speed, right? So we, we've talked about making sure that your the transactions are happening as quickly as possible. So that customer, you've got 1.8 seconds. Actually, you've got half a second to process that request in the backbone. And then you've got to navigate all the way up through the various layers to actually get to the customer's screen, right? So it's got to come from the customer's screen, let's say over their 5G to the telephone operator, across the landlines, to your processor, down into your machine and say, okay, customer wants this. And then it's got to navigate all the way back up. You've got like two seconds, three seconds tops for that back and forth to happen. And so there, you know, Asking a single tool to do all of those things quickly um, at this level is is unacceptable. So that's why they're not the um, commerce tool is not federating the, the content across all the marketplaces. They're letting um, fluent commerce do that. So they're they're going to be like uh, some of the other tools that we've talked about that um, distribute across all of the marketplaces. Okay, very interesting commentary there. That's really helpful. Thanks. Okay, um, unless you get, now we are looking at not that it's on them and their primary uh, data store be really uh, that's their bread and butter to from the data perspective. Uh, order data is really, really important from the uh, experience perspective and they are storing that as well. Discounts they are doing, which is, uh, you know, your traditional commerce. If you look at Shopify Big Commerce, they all are all of this, uh, which is different than what you would see in Shopify except at. Uh, now, this is how, and, and this is probably is going to give you a little uh, insight, Phil, in terms of how the development is going, right? So here, we are talking about a bunch of components, right? So for example, you have, a, 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 I don't know if you can see this, but you have just one line and you literally can dump that line anywhere on that page and you are going to get the functionality. Uh, and then you can control how you want to display that. So you have a little, you know, HTTP tag uh, or the HTML tag, sorry, uh, that you are dumping on or, uh, your web. And then you are going to get all of these components that you can bring together and build your commerce experience. And these are going to be, and my understanding is going to be the way things are going, there's going to be a marketplace, okay? The way your WordPress uh, marketplace is, where you can buy a lot of different components, they're going to be selling that. And that's why developers are so excited about it because they all are building their IPs, uh, you know, to be able to sell. So you should be able to buy, let's say I want to buy a cart, I want to buy a product grid. 
I want to buy my such and much. I like, you know, that's the the super best of breed experience. Okay, <laughs> so it's not just the tool. You are literally having the best of breed experience in terms of the components as well, which is very, very, very WordPress. But now we are talking about the real commerce experience in large enterprise. You know, as, um, as you were just talking, I think maybe an example that might help um, reinforce what I said previously. I think what we're talking about is an order of magnitude more number of transactions per second than SMBs would be. And that's why you have this segmented the way you do. If you're doing, you know, uh, a million calls, you know, every couple of minutes because of all, all the threads that are going back and forth, you have to separate it. Otherwise, your machine's going to kind of melt down. And you, and you hit the, the reason to go decentralized is the best in breed strategy. Yep. So, so the, the, the why are we doing it is that type of volume. And then the benefit we're getting is in each of these spots, we can pick the best solution for what we're trying to accomplish. So that makes a lot of sense. And maybe that is that backs up. Why would you go towards more complication? Because yep. this obviously gives you that. Yep. Yeah. If you're if you're at the, you know, 10 orders a day, 100 orders a day, 1,000 orders a day, maybe this isn't the right choice for you. But if you're at the 10,000, 100,000, you know, maybe that's something you want to look at. Those otherwise, we have a great depiction of, uh, you know, how this is going to go. Uh, and here we have sort of the API hub. And there are a lot of different things that are happening. Number one, the APIs are consuming a lot more data overall from the commerce perspective. So here we are talking about commerce tools as one. Then you have the, the APIs getting data from CMS. And there is another slide that I have, which will provide you a little bit more experience that this whole experience is going to become very simple, uh, okay? And which is powerful the way you, if you think about it, right? So, and that's why you have the CMS feeding to your API and commerce feeding to API. And that's where they have the separation of, okay, this is your com commerce, this is your CMS. And that's why you have, uh, you know, all of those your API layer. But then this is your, um, your business user layer where you are going to have the pages and the components and components are going to be powerful. And you have the studios. And in the studio, you are literally sort of, you know, patching them together. These are going to be your components, these are your pages, and this is where the business are going to be able to merge them together. But then you have those IT capabilities as well. So which is going to be your continuous deployment, continuous integration. You have all of that as well, which is again, very powerful concept overall that didn't exist in, in the in the front end space. So now they are bringing all of that as a commerce. And then finally, you are going to have delivery, just PWA. Uh, you know, that is getting delivered experience driven apps. Okay. So obviously one of the drivers is the GraphQL and Phil, I don't know if you're familiar <clears throat> with GraphQL, the way you sort of queried things in the traditional world, it was very serialized. I'm uh, familiar with it. Don't ask me to write it. <laughs> so, but I mean, it was a nightmare to be honest in the API world. It still is uh, if you're not using GraphQL. So it, I, it, it's, it's not horrible. You can, you, at least it's, at least there's English terms. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Uh, and that's the the whole idea overall from the JSON perspective, overall from the GraphQL perspective, that business users can probably understand the APIs. Uh, and that was the whole uh, movement of going towards JSON and GraphQL. And GraphQL is going to, the way I like to see these things is they are trying to slightly more ERPIs, to be honest, even in the internet now, because this is all existed, let's say, if you talk to SAP. They always had those business objects. They always, they talked to Info, they, they had their IDOs. So now these guys are trying to catch up with the ERP world, but more in the headless way. Okay, so this is the, the Amplify Studio and the reason why they were using Amplify Studio here, and I think Amplify, okay, and the reason why they would probably use this is because uh, commerce tools didn't have head at that time. So, well, 
or they were using Amplify. So here, this is the Amplify uh, Studio. So this is going to be your CMS, this is your ad that business users are probably going to be using, which is going to have the content, the user management, and the CMS component of commerce uh, versus your, your commerce commerce. Uh, okay, so you have the content, you have the user management, you have the file browser, you have UI library, then you have the data authentication storage, and then you have the AWS function, which is extremely powerful. And then you have all of that, uh, you know, CI/CD functionality. So you are literally, you know, borrowing or buying this. Let's say if you want to have a product widget that you really like from a developer, you can buy that. Um, so that's a very powerful concept. Now this is the the data binding. So this is the the screenshot from Contentful, and again, Contentful and Commerce tools they were always used together. Okay, now data binding. When you look at in the traditional app world or ERP world, they always had the data binding because you had to uh, some sort of data source. So now they are trying to do the similar thing. In my mind, I think there are substantial limitations. I don't know uh, how this is all working together, and now I don't know if they have to take any sort of shortcuts. But the way things are done, if you read the text, it seems like there are good limitations right now. The Data binding is not going to be as fluid because you know they are saying this app can only be used with short text fields. I'm not too sure if I understand the implications, but seems like there are some limitations overall. The way uh, they are structuring the whole integration, uh, commerce plus DMS. But the whole idea here is that okay, your products are going to be by your uh, the commerce platform. The CMS is not going to be taking care of your product. That's how between the platform. For example, let's say if you want categories uh, to come from your your headless commerce, then you can bind those. If you want uh, to have your categories inside your CMS, so you can you can sort of match that experience together the way you would like to design your. Now this is the evolution screen of the commerce platform, uh, and this is how uh, you know this is what is going to be the future. That's what um, you know everybody sort of predicting. Uh, but traditionally, if you look at 1990s, you had the um, you know it was very commerce-led, and the way uh, e-commerce community like to define the commerce versus content experience is always okay. You were literally selling; you were not educating. Uh, that's how I like to define. Okay, so commerce-led when you say it was very commerce-y, you didn't really have the content aspect up to the commerce business, and that's where if you look at something like you know uh, SAP Hybris Commerce Cloud. That's where they became a little bit more content-led, but then you did the commerce as well. Uh, so you had to have those templates and themes as part of your platform. But then you, uh, you know, you had the headless. By the way, this is their perspective. This is what they are thinking in terms of going to go. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, so they are thinking. You know what? These uh, guys at Shopify, guys at big commerce, they are not as cool as us. Uh, you know, and that they are defining it as micro-length. But my uh, expectation of the assumption to be that obviously these guys are either going to be acquired by Shopify, BigCommerce, or, so obviously these guys are watching them, you know. So Bloomreach is going to end up somewhere, either with Salesforce or SAP, because obviously it's hard, and they are going, to, they are going to want their, uh, you know, skin in the game. So we'll see how that goes in the next two, three, four. Uh, yeah, this is this is optimistic for sure, and it also assumes that. Salesforce, Commerce Cloud, Magento, some of these other Magento, some of these other guys are just going to stand still. <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean that, that there's places this is probably true, but this is this is a very dynamic, a dynamic thing. But it's interesting. Exactly. Uh, now this is a very, very, very interesting slide, and this is where that circular aspect comes handy, where you are sending a lot of signals from your front end to back end, back end to front end. It's for the place from the architecture perspective. 
but it's not all over the place okay fellas so i'm not calling them out okay i'm simply <laughs> okay this i actually like it a lot uh, the way this is done to me okay so phil is going to okay sam does not really have any sort of thing okay he's always like okay sometimes he likes it sometimes he doesn't <laughs> i'm fascinated that you're convincing on both sides of this fence <laughs> exactly but in this particular case i do like because you know you do need to have those signals coming from your front end if you don't have that as part of code you cannot control the commerce experience as much and that's why i like this a lot the way this is done and that's where i like the whole um, the headless commerce experience which is really fascinating personally for me i mean being a developer myself i i just love it but this is how the the commerce experience is going to go as soon as you have the events and this is the event based programming that you were talking about in this particular case it does make sense because the orders are going to be created those your backends and then backends are also trying to utilize these things and, and they are going to send the feedback loop to your front end so that's definitely this is the whole architecture uh, you know from the google cloud perspective this is how it is going to be deployed and a lot of the, uh, but this is the overall experience if you look at you know how this is going to evolve over time when we have uh, you know a little bit of appetite from the place in investing in the commerce experience it has a lot of different moving pieces that you need to have in, to enable those crazy experiences but those crazy experiences are is probably going to be your so obviously you need to be for that um, so here we are talking about i think robert mentioned that you know all recommendation ai um, you have the vision apis doing a lot from there and that's going to be your ux driver right there that is uh, doing the feedback loop Uh, and then you have the static content completely separate from your dynamic content. And by the way, dynamic content is what we are going to see in one of the slides that I, that we have. If we still have some time left, and which is going to be your rule-based pages, rule-based components on the pages, which is just so. So Sam, maybe I'm just not understanding completely this this slide and the one before. But as I think about you know the interaction between let, let's let's say the um the the ERP and ultimately the origin of orders. There's there's three kind of lanes of communication. One is the order communication itself. The second is customer information, and then settlement dynamics. And those those three lanes can have different requirements and also be pointing at different pieces. You know, so so their 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 hub here can certainly handle the order stuff. But let's say an order comes in and that customer doesn't exist in the in the ERP, or let's say you do you fulfill an order in the ERP and you have to settle it with the, one of the origins. I, I'm not sure. I'm sure they got a handle because those are common issues, but you don't see it here. You don't see how that quite that works. Exactly. So the ERP experience and whatever happens after the order is still probably going to reside in the ERP. Uh, you are not going to bring all of ERP in the commerce that will not make any sense. Okay. So this is still very commerce-driven experience, which is going to be far thicker overall in the pre-sales. And right now, if you look at the pre-sales and in general you know when you talk the way they are going to be interacting with your brand you know the way they are going to be consuming the content going to be interacting with the product okay once they place the order then it's a different deal okay then you have that customer. but before that a lot of things happen and that layer is going to be for thicker overall in the e-commerce experience and that's the uh, the headless experience and you know traditionally you didn't even have e-commerce okay uh, customer simply called and you know booked the order and then, okay then salesforce started this whole crm play which is where the, the whole play of salesforce is in that pre-sales because pre-sales is becoming thicker and thicker <laughs> and and this may just i just may not be getting it on this one but so so if you have channel advisor for example and you're using that as kind of a hub to get at a bunch of other commerce platforms and then you also have your own websites right. and then you and then you've got other commerce things that you're standing up 
I, it may just not be on these pictures. I don't quite visualize how that all fits together if I was going to use this solution. Or so, maybe at that point, I don't need some of those other platforms, and it is in this. So I think when we were looking at Emma, that kind of describes what was going on. So um, there's the delivery network that was going um, to all the marketplaces and to the brick and mortar. And then um, Commerce Tools was going to the website. You know, sometimes with smaller organizations, what we see is we see Shopify be the primary hub because they integrate with some marketplaces, not all of them, but they integrate with some. And so it's all going to reside there. So I think it comes out to the size of the organization and what pieces you want to bolt on to uh, get that ROI. Does it make sense? Like your yep. example was an exception case of we take an order and we can't find the customer. So, you know, from an e-commerce standpoint, you know, we're going to ask them, do you want to log in for your special pricing? We can't find your account. Do you want to, you know, we're not going to stop them. So we're going to say, you know, check out as a guest. And and then the back end process, the human process would be track down. Why did this fail? And we'll fix it, you know, from a non-technical standpoint. Right. And I'm used to a solution to that. Someone comes in, wants to create, wants to buy something and the back end systems ERP in this example doesn't have a customer record is you put a process in place that one gets created. Yeah. And so that a customer then exists and that gets loaded going in the other direction into the ERP so they can get started. And, and so that presupposes that you, that you force the creation of an account. Right. And, and in e-commerce um, many people say, no, we don't want that. We right. You buy as a guest, or if you want the special pricing, create yep. an account, which I've, that's, that's a model I've used before as well, Robert, but that was yep. helpful. Thank you. Yep. So, Phil, there is a little distinction there overall in terms of drawing the line, line between your economy here. So traditionally, if you look at the ERP installations, they never had the Okay, what they had is the, so let's say if you have the retail front, your POS, is the only thing you got is, okay, whatever you sold, tell me at the end of the day, I don't need to know actually. So the, you didn't have the customer record for that retail. So that's where the B2C and D2, right? ERP was always sort of the B2B play. Still today, I don't think they are really designed for that B2C experience. So one of the, the real differentiator between your e-commerce versus your ERP is going to be that B2B versus. So this is all for the consumer interaction, which is very B2C, okay? So in some cases yeah. you might not even have the customer. But again, the customer journey, journey overall is becoming longer because now that those customers are gonna come and they are going to ask for warranty on that product. So sometimes- Yeah, that's that a great distinction. The, the, the B2C is gonna be buying credit card and if you're willing to just have that dump into a cash account with limited information, you move forward. The B to, the B to B side of it, there, there's an account creation issue in terms and other things that you got to deal with. That's a great distinction. Okay, so let's more, and then we can only comment. Um, so here, this is another slide that we have, and this is going to be the overall, uh, you know, place of every single that we have in this whole, uh, you know, headless experience. So you are going to have the content follow, and we are going to be reviewing, all, um, you know, uh, in our future sessions. So you have the Magnolia, Blue Reach, all of the DXP, um, you have Sitecore and AEM, uh, and then you have the head itself, you know, and here head is going to be MPN's content stack. And in this particular case, Frontastic, in my opinion, is default uh, in this too, right here in this. And then you have the storefront. Uh, again, it's it's a lot of tech. It feels a lot of tech, but again, this is all commerce. This is all B2C. This is all... Now, this is a very interesting slide. And this is where the real power comes into me, especially when you talk about the, 
the searchability of your product, the categorization of your product. And that's where you can make a lot of money if you do it right. Not every company knows how to do e-commerce type to be okay. So the searching, the merchandising and, and positioning of your product, the way the navigation experience would be, that's where the real play is. Okay. If you invest it right, then you can you can make a lot. Uh, so this is where your composable uh, experience is going to be, where each of the layer is going to be sourced by a different platform and you have a lot more control in terms of what you want to display to whom. Uh, and that is going to be very programmable, um, you know, in the CI CD fashion where you can run a lot of experimentation. So this is just mind blowing um, the way this is going. Okay, so some of the reviews and the consistent theme that you are going to see in the reviews is really going to be overall effort required uh, to enable this experience. That's the common theme. But other than that, uh, I think people who get commerce, they are going to be super excited. And obviously, they are going to have a little edge there. I'm not too sure about ROI just yet. Uh, obviously, it's very hard to say that. But it's a big deal overall from the consumer uh, All right, guys, open up for the commentary. Cool. Well, I should go last on this. I, 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 you know, this one wasn't one where I have deep, uh, deep experiences. So I do apologize a little bit for the questions. But I thought this really is interesting as an evolution. I do think their slide is somewhat correct as an obvious evolution to higher volumes, more speed and more flexibility in how you're presenting on the front end. Um, I think there's still, for someone like me, still some good learning to be had on how this would be applied and what the pros, how it kind of works functionally. But but uh, I learned a lot on this one. Hopefully some of the questions brought out some good comments for other people. So I think for me, this just goes back to looking at the maturity of an organization and where they stand in terms of their growth, right? And so this this obviously is not an appropriate for an immature organization because they, they won't have the staff or the uh, strategy the tools in place to, to properly implement this. This could be a wish list for later on, but you're certainly not going to build out this entire tech stack in one foul swoop. You're going to you know, slowly start adding them on. And once you get the team in place that's capable of managing, say, an ERP along with your e-commerce tool, you know, and you're kind of in a monolithic and you're realizing, you know what, we, we're kind of hitting this this head wall and we're not getting the, the progress that we need. We need some more customization. That's when you start to realize maybe this is the time for us to look at the next generation and, and get that leapfrog. And that's where you're going to start to see this this huge shift in your ability to control the experience. That was that was awesome, Robert. Very helpful. But Sam, this this one was interesting, and 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 the and now you're getting into some tech. So I'm sure we got a a couple guys, uh, a couple folks out in the audience who are who are who are absolutely gobbling this stuff up. See, guys, any other short comments before I wrap? Nope. nope, Sam, you were great. Thank you, Phil. Awesome yep. job. Okay. Good one tonight, Amazing, guys. guys. So my closing comments are going to be okay. Uh, great power comes with great stability. Uh, okay, so make sure make sure you understand what you are getting into because one thing you don't want to you don't want to create your ERP. Never ever do this. Has a place. This is very powerful stuff. So make sure you are hiring qualified people who really know. On that note, if you join for the first time, this was part of our series for which we meet every Wednesday at 5:30 p.m. Eastern, and uh, we pick one topic for the solution or the vendor that we review independently. So make sure you guys are going to be here next week. We are going to come back with another uh, vendor or the solution. On that note, thanks once again, everyone, for your time and insights. Thanks, thanks everybody. everybody. I don't thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing the knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully, you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Phil Karper, 
head over to ringlingbusinesssolutions.com. It's R-I-N-G-L-I-N-G-B-U-S-I-N-E-S-S-S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S.com. If you want to learn more about Robert Brown, head over to rgbecommerce.com. It's R-G-B-E-C-O-M-M-E-R-C-E.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Jacqueline Laufer, who shares her insights into the Shopify pause and the challenges associated with international payments. Also, the interview with Will Hare, who shares his insights into Amazon's business models. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.